Um, We're continuing from with the renal physicians. Yes, so John Bell had established this excellent, excellent NDM specialist clinic, which uh, was superb for managing difficult lupus, scleroderma. Um, Peggy used to see the Bechet patients in it. Because right. was John Ledingham involved in that? John Ledingham by that stage would have retired, but he did. He started. It was his clinic. Yes, well, that's what absolutely I was thinking. Right. So I knew he and Peggy did lupus work. That's right. Yes. And I used to work in his clinic as well. Right. That's right. quite right. So did he have a sort of skin clinic? Mm-hmm. Well, it was lupus patients. Yes. No, right. Okay. But yes. but I used to once I started officially there. Yes. John Bell had set it up as an official multidisciplinary clinic. Mm-hmm. Then I would bring across the lupus patients from the dermatology department. Yeah. The difficult ones yes. would go to that clinic. So while I was in Stoke Mandeville, I was still doing that clinic. Now the lupus patients would be systemic, not discoid. Systemic. It yes. was the discoid ones with systemic problems. The simple, straightforward discoid patients one would leave in the dermatology department. Yes, but these were patients who had more than systemic disease. Yes. Because that had been your interest previously, yes. I don't know what you were saying. Yes, yes that's right. Yes. I sort of forgotten about that. My <laughs> career as well. Yes. So that had continued yes. all the way through. And, and it was John Bell, really, who got that going officially. So that was a great link to continue when I was in Stoke Mandeville. Yes. Yes. So when I came back to Oxford, that clinic obviously continued, um, and I was doing. I set up a. I'd set up a big tumor clinic in Stoke Mandeville, where I. I divided up the clinic so that instead of seeing a mix of patients, all the tumor patients were coming through on one day. It was a much more efficient way of running it. So you could see, with I had a registrar between us, we'd see three patients every fifteen minutes. Right. So you'd rattle through screening and deciding who needed surgery, who didn't need surgery. So when I came back to Oxford, I ensured that we had a tumour service established in Oxford for screening patients. But it does does mean that your general clinics, you don't have any light relief. You have patients who need a lot more time. So I was then dividing my service more and more into medical and tumour, and so I set up a psoriasis clinic. um, In Oxford? In Oxford, yes which I think was really important because they need a lot of time. Well, yeah, Chronic disease that. needs a lot of time. Yes, yes. And the sorts of patients that are coming through to a hospital, to secondary care, are usually complex. Yes, no, I can understand that. And has psoriasis really changed the yes, treatment of it? hugely. It's amazing. So what it's do you wonderful. do for it now? Well, you give them biologics, you switch oh, it off. What are biologics? <laughs> well, TNF, anti-TNFs. Yes, it's fantastic, and there's right. a, there are new ones coming out all the time. So people who have taken over from me have got more drugs than I had, and I retired yes. from yes. And they work. Years ago. They really work. Well, they do really work, but psoriasis finds a way around it. So they will work for a time. Um, they work in rheumatoid arthritis as well, but I think the arthritis patients they don't seem to get the breakthrough. That psoriatic arthropathies and psoriatic arthropathies right. too. They'll right. help. Yes. yes. So. The, the management has changed enormously, and what's very interesting is the way the patients cope. So you may have somebody who's had chronic psoriasis, plaque psoriasis for years, and sort of coped, and we've got quality of life indexes, and you get them to fit it in, and to your surprise, they say, well, you know, I'm all right, I'm coping, I've got used to it, and yes, I get on with it. Then you clear the psoriasis, and if it starts to come back, even a small bit, they can't cope at all. Right. Yes. Because no, they've suddenly discovered what life's like without yeah. it. Yes. So, yes, it's fantastic. <laughs> you think back to what I was doing with Terence when I started in dermatology, 
we were giving patients tar to use at home. Yes. It's hardly surprising people didn't use the stuff. And it's is so UV light different from vitamin D by man? Yes. <laughs> yes. In what way? Do you know? What's well, it doing? Well, the then? ultraviolet light that we, well, it chases away the T cells. Right, so okay. it's an immune, a local immunosuppressant. Right, it has right. big effects on the skin. Yes. Right. And it does that separate from generating vitamin D in the skin? Yes. Yes, okay, it has yes. many different effects. Right, yes. yeah, great. Yes. And um, psoriasis, terrible disease, I always used to think. Well, we used to bring people in, and we used to tell them they had to stay in until their psoriasis was cleared, and if they didn't, it was their fault if it came back. <laughs> Can you believe it? No, I'm sure. But you never <laughs> so said that. You never said that to well, That was well, the attitude. that was what they were told. If they wanted to go home, they were strongly discouraged. When mm -hmm. I started in dermatology, mm -hmm. that's, yes. It's your responsibility to come in and stay. And Three was, weeks or more. What was the success rate? That was tar dressings, wasn't that it? That was dithronol and tar, right, right. yes, and light. And did and it work? Been, well, yes, it did. You yes. clear them. At yes. what cost, though? Yes. Could people come in now for three or four weeks, mm -hmm. lie in bed? Sure. No. <laughs> well, they used to come into the slave. The slave yes. was wonderful, yes. of course. Tell me about that. I mean, how many beds were there? There must have been... I suppose there must have been about ten. Something like that. Was that the only dermatology inpatient? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes, and we right. had specialist nurses, we had ultraviolet light there, we had lovely grounds, and that's of course where dermatology was based. So we'd come and do our outpatient clinics in the John Radcliffe yes. and then go back to the Slade. Do you know when the Slade started for dermatology? Mm, no, I don't. Do you know? And when did it finish? Well, Terence will be able to tell you. Yes, those things. Sure. <laughs> yes. Sure. Would it have finished in your time? And yes, the new it. unit was built and opened when I was at Stoke Mandeville. Yes. Yes. Because the new Terrence, unit was wonderful. Yes, yeah. Terence and Rodney raised all the money, and Fernando raised the money for that. And then I think the hospital put in some money as well, but a lot of that was raised by them. Very good. Push for a new yeah. unit. Very, yes. very good. Yes. So when did you get into structured teaching, as it were? I mean, you'd had this experience at Duke, and then you said when you became I a consultant in Oxford, teaching was one of the things. Yes, I always loved teaching, yes, and right. uh, that was one of the pulls to get me back to Oxford, because I really miss not getting medical students in Stoke Mandeville, mm, yes, actually. Yes. So I came back to Oxford and got thoroughly involved in medical student teaching. Did you have a brief to do that, or did you just get involved? No, it yes. was just something. Yeah. Well, we all taught. But yes, I was, of course. I was particularly keen on teaching. Um, and I must have done, well, I don't think I have done any courses or anything. And then the, the, the interesting thing about coming back to Oxford was that I was no longer my own boss. Mm -hmm. I had three other colleagues, yeah, consultant yeah. colleagues. So you can't say you're going to do this, you've got to negotiate everything. Yes, yes. Which was fine, we all got on. But um, it's just not as quite as satisfying. <laughs> you can't, things easy. don't happen quickly. It was a big hospital. You can't yes. change things quickly. So I came back, for example, there was no, I had no disease index. I got a, I set up in Stoke Mandeville. I got my own disease index so I could actually sort out what I was seeing every year, how many patients I'd yes. seen. I could pull out information. There was nothing in Oxford. So you were using a computer for that? Yes. 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 And they weren't doing it in Oxford? No, they had nothing. Chris Bunch had set up something, and each department, I think, was doing their own thing, and there was no coherent policy. Right. And, and I found it, it you, know, you, you couldn't actually evaluate what you were doing. Yeah. Extraordinary. Yes. I found that extremely frustrating, but that's the way it was. Um, and then, Sometime 
into the second year, I suppose it must have been, this letter came round to everybody. They were looking for a new director of clinical studies. Mm. And that's when things So you volunteered? Changed. Yes. yes. I went, I, well, I volunteered, yes. I wrote to say I was interested yeah. in the position. And was there any competition? <laughs> I think they interviewed a number of people. Oh, but yeah. the interview was extremely um, informal. I have no idea how it was really working. Yes. It was all David Weatherall. Yes. And a cup of coffee. And how much had you come across him before? I hadn't come across him as a student because he arrived after I left. And I knew him, um, I'd met him when I'd been doing my research because there was a a time when I had looked at, uh, well I had applied for a welcome fellowship and didn't get it, so David was involved with that, so yes Yes, I did know him. Yeah, because I was wondering if it was John Bell, really, or whether it was David. Yes. I, well, it was probably the pair of them, because John yes. was very yeah. much involved, I suspect. Yes. Yeah. And um, tell me about being Director of Clinical Studies. Well, I hadn't realised quite what a challenge it was going to be, because the Quality Assurance, the QAA, mm-hmm. Quality Assurance Agency, were coming in to look at Oxford, and Oxford really hadn't engaged with what the other medical schools had done. Oxford yeah. had thought that, and Cambridge, I think, to some extent, had thought that they would probably not participate in this process at all and then realised they probably had to participate in it and this was going to be a big mistake. So I only had 18 months to get the place turned around fit for purpose. (laughs) 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 At least as viewed by an outsider. But who was doing the quality assessment? The GMC? No, no, the GMC had come in separately. The QAA were the great and the good from other medical schools, basically. Yes. Coming well, in I mean, the Royal Colleges were doing it? Or no. Um, the Department of Health? I mean, who's running this? The Q- I don't know who runs the QAA. Um, it is, well, I suppose it's, I don't know. You'll have to look, sure. you can look that one yeah, up. Yeah, will, but but um, the people on the teams are individuals from other medical schools yes. who are trained up as inspectors. And are they all dermatologists? Or no, 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 this right? is medical schools. Yes. This is, no, 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 this, school, is, this yeah. is a whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So um, you would have a team of eight people coming in, inspecting the school uh, and staying for five days. And there was a room, in fact it's the committee room on the, the first, on the academic corridor, on the John Radcliffe, was yes. filled with files of information. Mm-hmm. And they needed to look at the curriculum, they needed to look at how things were taught, how things were assessed, how we support students, what resources we provide. Was any of this written down? Nothing. There wasn't even a curriculum. No, I thought not. So that was the problem, and I had no idea when I said I'd become director of clinical studies. Let's see, what year was that? 1990-something? Well, I'll look it up. Yeah, I think it was 1998. I started 1999, and the QAA were coming in in... May 2000. So did you have to knock your consultant colleagues' heads together? I did. I told them I'd put them on the bus going round and round the ring road while the inspection team was here if they wouldn't play ball. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. we could bring about change because actually the inspection team were coming in so yes. people realised that actually they were going to have to do something. And was that beneficial? I think it was. Yes. I think Oxford it was a very good medical school but it had drifted a bit and there were there was feedback I think from the medical students who were less than happy with the quality of teaching they were getting right. and David I think recognised that there were David Weatherall recognised yes. there were problems and things needed changing yeah. the GMC had been in and Oxford wasn't actually measuring up to what they expected either there was a tension between what the GMC wanted and the type of education Oxford provides and I think the GMC had moved 
moved away from the views they had then because the GMC at that stage were very much pushing integration and clinical, clinical being introduced early. Yes, better I integration I between the two halves. Yeah. Um, special study modules so that students would have opportunities to pursue humanities, do other things. Right. Oxford had not moved at all, and so there was quite a lot of moving needed. But we still retained what we believed was the best in Oxford, yes. and were able to justify what we did. And were you so having anything to do with the surgeons, or was it just the physicians? No, 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 no. It's a whole medical. Well, that's story. what I was realizing. No, yes. How well, easy was that? Because the physicians are all goodies. We all know that. <laughs> that was challenging. <laughs> that was challenging. I had some interesting discussions with the surgeons. Yes. But, but we got there them, in the end. You got them to write things, didn't you? Because that's a uh, triumph. It was hugely difficult. Yes. Hugely difficult. I actually had to ring Peter Morris in Australia because stuff wasn't being delivered. Yes. I, he was at a conference in Australia and I explained that the team were coming in and whatever it was, a month or two months, yes. and I still hadn't had the information back from the surgeons and please could he do something about it? Right. Which he did. And Linda Hans appeared with stuff yes. very quickly. Which is a good yes. She's She's very good, but his his um, clinical lecture at that stage wasn't delivering. Okay. <laughs> 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 You're quite right. So there were challenges. But um, we got there and people pulled together. It was amazing. Yes. Yes. And we got a curriculum. There was a curriculum committee, you know, which had been running for years under yeah, Grimley Evans. Oh, yes. There were all these papers and they had not made any decisions about anything. And in fact, the feeling was that if things were written down, the medical students wouldn't learn anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there wasn't one in my time, unless they just kept me away from it. But, um, no, no, they never wrote anything down. When did Grimley started this, when did this committee start? I have no idea. Were, I was pulled out these old papers when I was trying to sort out what this committee had achieved. <laughs> <laughs> well, Grimley, that's another story. <laughs> Uh, but there was a strong feeling that nothing should be prescribed. The medical students should find their way, yes. and they will be okay. Yes, and they generally were pretty bright. That's a pair. Yes, okay. And um, that's another thing I must remember to tell you at the end. But anyway, um, well, assessments were another huge problem. The exams, completely idiosyncratic. The exams in year five, which is when they're doing their various specialties, yeah. everybody was doing slightly different things. And the final year exams, if you pull them up, it's the final year medicine and surgery exams, heavy emphasis on tropical medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Entirely predictable questions each year and huge swathes of the curriculum, not examined at all. There was no blueprinting of questions, nothing. They were amazing, because of course in my time, there weren't any exams till the finals, you know, you just you weren't tested at but all. The, but the people who were setting the exams were not necessarily teaching, that was the other thing. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, they were just examining the things that they thought that were important. 